right, we are back, and we have a very special guest with us today, writer of The Underwater Welder, Essex County, Sweet Tooth, Animal Man, uh, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, Mr. Jeff Lemire. Thank you, Jeff, so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Um, So we kind of start this out the same way every interview, and I like to ask, you know, how you got into comics. What's your origin story of sorts? Um, well, I mean, I, I grew up reading comics. I, I was reading comics when I was like four or five and I just always, you know, right from an early age, I, they just captured my attention right away. And, and I, you know, I sort of became my main passion in life. And I, you know, even from that young age, I was sitting in for hours and hours, just copying pictures from, from, you know, Batman comics and stuff like that. But as far as my professional career, you know, um, making a living or, or even just being published and stuff like that never really seemed, um, seemed like a realistic goal when I was, you know, a teenager or whatever and thinking about what I might want to do with my life. It never seemed like something attainable. So I didn't really pursue it. Um, I, I actually went to film school here in Toronto and, uh, you know, over the course of that program, I just became, it became pretty obvious that I really wanted to tell stories and I really liked the visual aspect of, of filmmaking, but, um, sort of the, it was, there was just too many people involved, like cast and crew and so many different people you have to filter your ideas through that, uh, I found comics was so so much more immediate and personal and, um, you know, one person can sit down at a desk and, and whatever he puts on the page, that's exactly what the reader gets. And I really liked that directness of it. And, um, so I started taking it way more seriously, you know, near the end of my schooling. And, and, and when I got out of school, I just spent five or six years basically drawing as much as I could and reading as many comics as I could and, and just trying to get better and better. And, um, and then finally around 2005, I guess I, I did sort of my first long form book, Lost Dogs, which, um, was pretty rough, but I think it was sort of the, f- where I first sort of found my storytelling voice a little bit. And, and from there, I just kind of, you know, I self-published that book. And then uh, my next project was the first Essex County chapter. And I pitched that to Top Shelf and a couple other indie publishers. And Top Shelf took that. And it just sort of went from there. You know, I did I did the three Essex County books. And um, uh, Bob Shrek, who was an editor at Vertigo at the time, really liked those books. And so I pitched some stuff to him at Vertigo and, you know, and then the nobody in sweet tooth happened and, you know, and then from there, Jeff John saw my stuff at Vertigo. And, uh, so it's just a lot of little steps from, from self-publishing to indie comics to Vertigo to DC stuff. But, um, you know, that took about, you know, like a decade to get to where I am now. Right. Um, you know, so to people out there who want to get into comics, do you, would you say to just do it, to just, create something of your own and absolutely you, yeah. yeah i mean what are you waiting for if you wait for it's so easy to sit there and and say you know uh my my, my idea is not good enough yet but eventually you know just keep putting it off thinking that eventually one day you'll wake up and have this fully formed thing that's perfect and the, the world's been waiting for but it doesn't exist you just have to start putting stuff out there even if it's even if it is flawed and, and it's not exactly what you want mm-hmm. you know the, the only way to get better is just to keep doing it and um you know, when I was first self-publishing, that was 2000, you know, somewhere around 2001, 2002. And it's a big difference between then and, and now, even 10 years, in terms of 
how you can use the net and, and the internet and, and Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff to get your work out there. I didn't really have that, you know, and, um, there's really no excuse anymore to wait. You just, you don't even really need a publisher. If you can draw and write and draw your own stuff, especially you just, just do it and get it out there and, uh, and just keep putting it out and just keep getting better. And, um, I know it's a lot trickier if you're just a writer or, or just an artist because then you need to find a collaborator that, that's reliable and that, that you can work with and stuff. But um, even so, yeah, I, I mean, you just if, you, if you're just waiting to pitch the perfect idea to uh, Marvel or DC and, and start a career, it's not going to happen. You just got to start putting work out there, and, and that's what they'll notice, you know. Right, absolutely. <clears throat> now, did you have any formal training as, as far as, as art school or anything like that, or did you just kind of start developing your own style as you went along? Yeah, no, I didn't. I, you know, I had a really good high school art teacher who taught me a lot of the basics of you know watercolor and oil painting and, and stuff like that, but nothing really beyond that. And um, it was really just me, you know, experimenting and, and trying stuff and and looking at my my favorite artists and kind of trying to figure out what tools they were using and experimenting with brushes and, and pens and and I think in a way it's kind of good that I didn't have formal training because it, it really I think the style that I have is sort of unique and I think a lot of that came out of me just sort of being on my own and, and um, developing that style without any other influences and um, I, I, I'm sure if I had gone to an art school or, or had a lot of other friends who were cartoonists when I was first starting out there would have been a lot of shortcuts and a lot of things I would have learned really quickly that took me years to figure out. But I somehow I feel that those years that it took me to figure all that stuff out kind of made me what I am. So, um, but yeah, it was all in, in, you know, no formal training. It was really just me trying to draw, you know, uh, um, trying not to imitate other people and trying to find my own, my own voice and trying to, uh, create a style that was sort of spontaneous and, and energetic and, and true to who I was and um, just a lot of, you know, <laughs> years and years of just drawing every day for hours and hours and just trying to get better, you know, and I still do that. So Right. Um, now, you said you went to film school and obviously you realized it wasn't for you, but did you take away um, story, you know, stru- story structure and stuff from... from I probably the- did, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to think of specifics now because that was quite a while ago, but... Um, I'm sure I did. I'm sure that whatever storytelling style that I have now and, and visual style, even the roots of that probably came from me writing screen screenplays and, and shooting short films and a lot of that stuff I'm sure really went into, into what I was doing when I started doing comics. And, uh, I think uh, the stuff that I draw myself, especially my earlier stuff tended to have a pretty cinematic, uh, pacing and, and stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, there are a lot of filmmakers who really influenced me as a storyteller as much as as other cartoonists and comic writers and stuff. So um, I think there was a lot of that in that went into, you know, making my style whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, it's Bob here. I just reading Essex County, the first one, The Farm, and mm-hmm. I would. On this film school thing, I see so much sort of George Stevens, John Ford. Yeah, John so, Ford for sure. Okay, but it's yeah. just so brilliant, and and it's simple. But to lay out a simple panel and have everything in balance, just having a, a crow fly across the shot with nothing but the farmland, but just a slightly askew angle, it's just brilliant, and that, that's yeah. so well, cinematic. I think, you know, if if anything, um, with film school, probably taught me was that you know 
people compare comics to movies so so much now and, and they they I always hear that thing where like comics are just a storyboard for a movie or something, but that's really not true at all. I think if anything, comics is much more like editing a film than, than shooting one because you're from panel to panel you're making a decision of what to show and what not to show and and really that's that's the same kind of thought process that goes into editing a film. So I think there's a lot of that and I think especially in Essex County the style I kinda of developed was that sparseness and that minimalistic kind of thing where I never wanted to put any anything in a panel that wasn't needed to communicate the emotion or the idea that that I was trying to communicate communicate story wise or character wise there and anything else just became uh non necessary and, and likewise I have a pretty sparse writing style where there's not a lot of narrative caption or, or dialogue even and again if if you can show it visually why why put words on the page. So I think a lot of that was just stripping down and, and trying not to put anything else on the page other than what was necessary and and a lot of my style kind of came from that basic idea. Well sure if you center the character properly just his stance, just his body language. And Lester, so often, it looks as the most alone little boy in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a question for you, Jeff, actually, about Essex County. Um, one of the aspects of it that I really enjoyed from the first book was the Nightbird comic. And I was wondering, um, how, that, how did that come about? Did you put that together or somebody that you know? No, those are like my real comics from when I was a little kid. I my knew mom, it. I yeah, knew yeah. it. That's my so mom awesome. kept them all, and and when I was working on the book, she, I, I don't know, I must have went home for a visit, and, and I dug them out from our attic. And I mean, there's there's a lot more than just the ones that are in. So you just <laughs> and, uh, you you scanned I, it and made it part of the book then. Yeah, yeah. So those are my actual comics from when I was. I don't know how old I was. I was probably seven or eight, you know. And I have stacks of them, and they're pretty hilarious. I, I have. I should put them on my blog sometime. I used to. My, my favorite thing ever when I was a kid was DC's Who's Who, the original one. Oh, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would sit down and I would do my, my own Who's Who, just making up my own characters, you know. And <laughs> yeah. I have like volumes and volumes of just these made up superheroes that are really funny, you know. That's so awesome. I was I was looking at it. I was like, there's no way. I'm like, this has to either be very old or you... You can't fake it. If you try right. to fake, Every time anyone does a drawing that's supposed to be a child's drawing or... Uh, you know what I mean? It always has that look where they're well, trying to make it look like a kid's like, drawing. I have, yeah. I have art from my, my nieces and my cousins and they hand me some of the coolest stuff and I'm like, yeah, I try to replicate it just to do that like that 10-year-old feel and I can never yeah. do it. Yeah, it looks artificial and even the grammar and stuff in the writing, like yeah. you can't... If I tried to misspell those words now or whatever, it probably would look it would look kind of, um, you know, uh, artificial or something. But that was all just the real, <laughs> the real writing. That's really it. cool, right? Yeah. Um, Stephanie, we had some questions from our listeners. Correct? You want to throw some out there? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the first one we've got here is um, from Chucky Valdez, and uh, he wants to know when will you be working with Alberto Ponticelli again? Oh man, I hope soon. I I really love Alberto, and um, I love his art. He's one of my favorite artists, and doing Frankenstein was probably the most fun I've ever had. You know, it, I um, it was really tough for me to leave that book because I love that character so much, and I love writing that character so much, and I love working with Alberto because he's one of these rare guys that can. He just does this incredible work, and he, not only is he on time every month, but he's early. Like he's just—he's such a professional. You know, he, a couple of pages a day every day, and, and that work ethic is is becoming more and more rare. Unfortunately, I find with the modern generation of comic creators, and uh, I really respect that because I have the same sort of work ethic where I, I really, you know, I try to do one or two pages a day 
drawing and I, I'm always early with my scripts and everything. And I, I really respect that in him and just, you know, <clears throat> I really just love his style and it would have to be the right project though. Cause I don't know that he's suited for everything, you know, but, um, I'm, there's a couple new DC projects coming next year and he, his name's popped up a couple of times as a possibility. So who knows, you know, that's awesome. Um, I've actually got a Frankenstein question for you real quick. Sure. Whose idea was it to make, um, the the father time bob harris okay <laughs> it was yeah i yeah i know what you're gonna ask it was father time was just the father time from the seven soldiers miniseries when i wrote the first draft of the script and okay. i don't know bob, why bob had this idea maybe it says more about bob than it does about me but he wanted to make her <laughs> this like you know japanese schoolgirl thing and as she cried, when he first she... told me i was it was one of those things where you get off the phone with your editor and you're just like cursing, like, what? That's the stupidest thing I did. <laughs> no, it's not. It was and then so I, awesome. And then I thought about it for a moment. I'm like, wait a minute. You, this is the book where you can <laughs> do, yeah, absolutely. cram any idea in and make it funny. So it just became part of it. And uh, yeah. it actually, I, I'm really glad he, he gave me that note. Yeah, between Father Time and Lady F, those, those two characters yeah. just, they crack me up. She's a badass. <clears throat> I've, uh, I've been reading it the last couple of days, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that book was a lot of fun, you know. Awesome. Um, so you talked about you know working with artists and stuff. Um, what is it like for you? The difference between you know obviously with Sweet Tooth and Underwater Welder, you do all your own art and do all the writing, and then books like Frankenstein, which you were working on, and Animal Man, you send you know you send scripts off to artists or what have you. Mm-hmm. How do you, do you work differently? Do you write differently? When it's- um, I think so. I think I do now. I you know it was. There was a learning curve there because I, when I first, the first thing I did at DC was the backups in uh, Adventure Comics for the Adam story that I did, and um, at that time, that was the first time I'd ever written for another artist. I'd always only drawn my own stuff, and not only was it the first time I'd written for another artist, it was also the first time I'd worked sort of in this shared DC universe and within the DC editorial system. So there was a lot of things I needed to figure out, you know. Um, and uh, I think it shows, you know, that there's there's some things in that that Adam story that I like, but it's certainly it's fairly mediocre superhero stuff. And a lot of that was me in terms. I had a really good artist actually in that book too, uh, Mahmoud Ashwar, who's doing Supergirl now. He's really fantastic. But yeah. <clears throat> I think I was so used to doing everything myself that maybe my scripts, maybe I spent too much time trying to art direct him and trying to trying to get him to draw it or lay out a page the way I would lay it out and. I think when you do that, you it just puts all these limits on him creatively. Whereas if I had given him more freedom, he could have done his own thing and brought his own energy to it, and and, and then you start to feed off of that. But so I had to figure that out, you know. And uh, when I got the new Fifty Two stuff happened, I kind of treated it like um, a fresh start in a lot of ways. You know, I, I felt like it was a fresh start for me as a writer at DC to try to just sort of you know reboot my own way of working and uh, approach it with you know, taking what I'd learned on Superboy and the Atom and, and trying not to make the same mistakes. And, and so I think when I, when I got Alberto on, uh, Frankenstein, who I, I actually requested, I really loved him on Unknown Soldier and then, um, Travel Foreman on Animal Man. I had two artists that I really loved and I loved their work. So it was really easy for me then to just sort of step back and, and not try to art direct them too much or, or tell them how to lay it a page or, you know, I, I just instead I focused on character and plot and dialogue and stuff and just left the visual aspect completely up to those guys. And I found as soon as I did that, they started bringing all their own ideas to it. And then 
I would see their ideas and then I'd adjust scripts accordingly and, and I'd get new ideas story-wise based on their art and it just was a, a lot more give and take and a, a true collaboration that way. So it, it took me a while to figure that out. Whereas on my, you know, obviously when I'm doing Sweet Tooth or uh, whatever stuff that I'm writing and drawing, I'm, you know, I get I do everything and I'm in complete control and there's a lot of rewards to that as well. So I, I really do enjoy doing both, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of collaborations, you worked with uh, Dim Lindelof on Legends of the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that like? Like, what was it like to be able to draw Batman? What was it like working with Damon? Uh, it was really cool. I mean, I'm a huge Last fan, and um, so it was kind of surreal at first when we started talking, and and then when uh, the Batman thing became a possibility, and I, and he agreed to do that, it was really fun. He's he's a very fun guy. He's very easygoing. Very, he really just kind of is very open to me doing my thing and him just sort of complimenting it. So. Um, for me, the challenge was, you know, you think of Batman and there's so many different ways you can interpret Batman, you know, um, and there's so many great artists who have interpreted him visually in different ways over the years that it's hard not to almost get paralyzed, like trying to figure out what your Batman looks like. You know, I, I spent a good two weeks just drawing Batman, trying to get a handle of it on it. And, um, you know, one day I'd draw, I'd be looking at so much Jock Batman and I'd just draw too much like Jock. And then another day I'd be looking at too much J.H. Williams and I, it would be too much <laughs> like him. And it took me a couple of weeks to get that out of my system of imitating everyone else's Batman before I just, you know, kind of said, oh, screw it. And, and just sort of drew him as if he was a character in, in Sweet Tooth or something. And as soon as I did that, that was, you know, I figured it, you know, that was my Batman. So, but it, that was really fun. And, and and interesting. Yeah, I mean, the Batman is definitely a Jeff Lemire Batman. You you couldn't mistake it for anybody yeah. else's looking at that book. And it's great. It's a it's a great little Batman story too. I'm di- di- you know sorry, just sorry to interrupt, but I, that's what I love about that character in particular. And I think that's what I think that's what so why so many artists love drawing Batman is that there's something so iconic about him um, with the cape and the ears that you can interpret it so many different ways and it's still recognizable as Batman, you know, and it gives you so much freedom to do different things. Whereas other, other characters, maybe not so much, you know, like, um, like I can't think of an example offhand, but for some reason he's such an iconic figure and that iconic silhouette that you can get away with crazy interpretations and it's still recognizable as Batman. I think there's this, that there's something there in terms of why he's been so popular for so many years, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, we're moving uh, moving over to a little bit of Animal Man stuff. Uh, I have a question for you, Jeff. I was wondering, cool. what's up? No, you said cool. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, was it planned from the start to have Little Wing be the focal character of Animal Man, or did that just occur naturally? Um, I'll be honest. You know, I got the Animal, the New Fifty Two stuff happened really fast behind the scenes. I mean, um, there was, you know. There was a period for a couple of weeks where we, we kind of knew we were all starting over at, in at first issues again, and um, uh, but it wasn't really a reboot of the universe so much. And then mm-hmm. the next week it was sort of a soft reboot, and then the next week it was a kind of a hard reboot. And it all happened very fast, and we were kind of as creators, I think we were all just trying to adjust pretty quickly to what they wanted. And uh, actually, I didn't have Animal Man; I wasn't on that book until much later. I, I had Frankenstein earlier, and for a while, I was going to be continuing on Superboy and then just rebooting that with a new number one. But um, that was for different reasons. You know, I, I didn't stand Superboy and I was kind of looking for another book to do for the, the relaunch. And um, I got Animal Man much 
much closer to like the deadline of the first issue being due, you know? So a lot of that was just me literally kind of making it up as I went along. I just sat down and wrote the first couple scripts and whatever came out, came out, you know? And then I, once I got some breathing room, then I started to figure out the bigger plans. So it's hard to remember how much, you know, Maxine, I've, I, I always loved the, I knew right away that the book was about the family and not just Buddy Baker. So um, I kind of quickly kind of came up with the roles, right. the, role, the role that each member of the family would have in the story. And, and it just seemed natural to me that she would be more like Buddy and Cliff would be more like Ellen. And uh, I think a lot of that comes from the Jamie Delano run, which I really loved. Um, most people talk about Grant Morrison's run on that book, which justifiably so, because it's really cr- amazing. But um the Jamie Delano run is really underrated and unfortunately it's not collected yet, but um, mm. he really focused on Maxine and Buddy a lot. And, um, and you know, he's the one that came up with a little wing nickname and Maxine was sort of, he was sort of hinting at her having powers in his run and stuff. So it was really me just sort of picking up those threads from him and kind of going, taking it where I wanted it to go, you know? Well, I got to tell you, man, not too bad for uh, just, you know, letting it occur naturally. And, yeah. And, and yeah. You know, sometimes the first ideas are the best. <laughs> you just kind of awesome, roll with man. it. But, and then sometimes the first ideas are the worst, but that was, <laughs> that was one of those things where it just all kind of, I think that was just the perfect book for me at the perfect time. And, and still is really, it's, it's a very easy book for me to write. It's not a lot of work. It just, you know, each month I sit down and it kind of just rolls out fairly easily. I think the characters are just a part of me, you know, so it, it's just kind of, listen to them and let them write the script for you. Right. Now, I don't want to sound um, like I don't know stuff because I do know some stuff, but I have a question about the rot. Um, I wanted sure. to know, has it always existed or was that something that No, that was Scott and I. Yeah. It was. I, um, you know, the red, the red was mentioned and shown in, in Delano's run again. Um, so that, that existed in the green, obviously with Alamore Swamp thing and everything. But, um, the rot really came from me and Scott just sort of trying to come up with an imposing force for these guys. And it just seemed pretty natural that, that if these two forces existed and were sort of, um, represented by these sort of champions and buddy and swamp thing, then there must be a a counterbalance. And there was, you know, figuring out exactly what it was and how it all tied together took a little bit, but, and actually the name, the rot for a while, it was, I went through a diff- couple different names. I can't remember them all. It was going to be the Black for a while, but um, it just felt too much like Black Lanterns and Black Stain stuff. So we right. stayed away from colors. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. It kind of it developed much in the way that Scott and I developed the crossover and everything. It just you know just to just through us sharing stories and bouncing ideas back and forth and, and noticing common themes and ideas that we could sort of meld together and. Nice. Uh, it, it, it just quickly became obvious that That's Setha, really cool. the villain he was using in the first Dark of Swamp thing, and then the Hunters Larry, that I was using in uh, Animal Man, we just, it just became clear to us that they, they could have both sort of come from the same place. And once we figured that out, that's, right. you know, that was the rot. I uh, I loved how it was written into that one episode, uh, the one episode issue <laughs> of uh, Frankenstein. Like, yeah, that was fun. I was actually, I, um, I think issue eight was going to be my last issue of Frankenstein. And then uh, Joey Cavalier, the editor of both books, Animal Man and Frankenstein, email, or called me and asked if I'd stick on for one more, if, if we could do an Animal Man crossover. So it didn't take much for me to say yes to that because I, yeah. I didn't really want to leave Frank. <laughs> it was really cool. It was a really cool like wrap-up of, of like the Animal Man history of the DC-52 so far and then bringing it into 
where Frankenstein was and following up with the cop and what happened to him. It was just a really nice way of, of tying it in. Yeah, and um, actually he's going to – Frankenstein will be a really big part of Rat World as well. Um, and it's the stuff we sort of planted in that issue. Sort of uh, cool. Matt Kent, who's writing the book now, is going to pick up with some of that stuff. And and then uh, Frankenstein will be a big player in the, in, in the whole crossover story. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, in the Animal Man annual, uh, another sort of rot question, uh, s- some of that rural stuff really struck me as very H.P. Lovecraft, Color Out of Space. Did you ever <laughs> encounter that short story? No, I haven't read it. No, I, okay. I've only read the only Lovecraft I've ever read actually is um, the, the Mountains of Madness or, you know, the, the famous, sure. like, is that the, what it's called? The Mountains of Madness? Yeah, the Mountains of Madness, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the only one I've read. And uh, So I haven't read a lot of Lovecraft, but... Um, Actually, kind of a funny story about that annual was that uh, when I was doing the Nobody at Vertigo, before I got Sweet Tooth, um, I pitched a Swamp Thing graphic novel to to Bob Shrek as a Vertigo graphic novel that I was going to draw and write, which never got approved. But the main story of that that pitch became the Animal Man annual. I just used (laughs) most of it. Wow, very cool. (laughs) <laughs> and kind of retrofitted it into there. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Uh, Stephanie, let's throw it back to you for some listener stuff. Um, yeah, so Robert Gall wanted to know, what do you find are some of the biggest differences, um, particularly the limitations in working for DC versus indie books? Um, you know, I get that. That's a really common question because I think people have this perception that um, if you work on Marvel or DC, um, editorial really puts all these restraints and limits on you and, and, um, and stuff like that. And it's not really the case, you know, for the most part, most of the editors there, there are really there to, to tell good stories as well and to help you and support you. And, um, yes, there are things you can't do in, in the DC universe that you can, you could, you know, if I was writing my own, my own stuff like Sweet Tooth, I'm sort of the God of that universe and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. And, uh, and you know you're sharing these characters with other writers and and stuff, so there you have to be aware of that stuff. But to be honest, whatever limitations are put on you um, are far outweighed by the joy that you get from collaborating with artists and and other writers and, and sharing these characters that you've you grew up loving and and everything. So you know, I really I really don't see it as a hindrance. You know, it's just. Uh, if if I was just doing the DC stuff and wasn't writing and drawing Sweet Tooth every day or Underwater Welder or my own stuff, I might not be so <laughs> comfortable with it. But since I, I kind of have that thing where I get to do whatever I want, it's not so hard for me to sort of work, be a team player on the DC stuff. And I do enjoy, I do enjoy doing both, you know. Um, so here's a question a bit about Sweet Tooth. Um, I heard that Gus uh, was named after your son since they were technically born on the same day. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, it was like um, uh, the 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 day that we found out we were pregnant with my son uh, was the day I was working on the the pitch for Sweet Tooth. Um, and we were started talking about baby names, and one of them was Gus. And so when I was writing the pitch, I, that name was sort of on my mind, and uh, so that character became Gus as well. Yeah. So did you write aspects of Gus as a person you'd want your son to be? Uh, I don't know that I did consciously. No, I mean that character to me is sort of the embodiment of innocence and, and childhood, and a lot of ways. Like I, I wanted him to be anyway. You know, he's just 
his story and his, the whole, all the sort of fantastic elements of Sweet Tooth and everything are all just metaphors for sort of uh, the perfect innocent, someone who's not been corrupted by the world and who's in, and, um, and then slowly is introduced to this sort of horrible world and, <laughs> and has to react. But so I think if anything, he was just supposed to be, uh, just, a a reflection of, of all children and, and of, you know, complete innocence and stuff. Not so much anything I, I wished my son I especially did not want my son to have antlers. So. <laughs> uh, uh, Stephanie, if you don't mind, I've got a listener question that sort of follows on this line a little bit from uh, Sarah Bell. Uh, Jeff, she wants to know, well, uh, how much of your friend's family or even uh, yourself do you find yourself writing into the stories? And do you ever worry that some of them will take it either positively or negatively to the extreme as what you put on the page? No, I never really do that. I don't put... I never put anyone directly in a story as a character, you know, uh, even myself. I think I'm sure there are aspects of different people I know that, that get mixed into certain characters and then exaggerated and things, but there's, it's never a direct, I never directly use people like that. It's, there's not much fun in that for me, just doing straight, uh, autobiographical kind of stuff for my own life. I always like to add my own sort of spin on things. So that's never really been a problem. Great. Thanks. I mean, kind of piggybacking off of that, I mean, you know, whether it's Jack Joseph and the underwater welder kind of having trouble committing to fatherhood and letting go of his past or, you know, Lester kind of growing up without a father or Buddy Baker trying to be like the best father in the entire world. Um, your work deals heavily with child-father relationships. Um, yeah. You know, um, can you tell us, you know, why you kind of go towards this particular no, kind of concept? No, no You know, I, I, it's, that's one of those things where... You know, if I spent a couple of years going to a therapist, we'd probably figure it out, but then I wouldn't have anything to write about anymore. So what's the point? You know, I, I don't, I'm not someone who approaches stuff from a really intellectual point of view where I, I sit back and try to figure out where those stories are coming from. And, and you know, I just kind of always try to write from my gut. So it's coming from somewhere, but I, I, I don't try to think too much about it. I guess the work itself is, is my way of working through whatever it is. <laughs> um, it's certainly, you know, I, I, it's sort of interesting that, especially in the underwater welder, it's pretty. It's pretty much right out there, you know, the father-son stuff. And um, the fact is, my dad was a really great dad, or is is a really great dad. You know, we have a great relationship, and he's pretty much the opposite of all the fathers I end up writing <laughs> in all my stories. I don't know. I really don't know where it comes from. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't like the. It's hard for me to answer questions about how how personal certain things are, how much of your own life are in certain stories, because, uh, I mean, that's personal, you know, and I, that's not something I really care to share with people, my own personal life and stuff. Whatever, you know, the only thing I really want to share with people is what's in the work itself. So. Right. Absolutely. Cool. Um, Stephanie, throw it back to you for some more listener quest stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, um, lobster Johnson, <laughs> who, <laughs> he, he, he wants to know what's your greatest hopes you think in comics in the coming years. Um, do you think he means for me personally or for the, the, for the medium itself? Um, I, I think maybe the industry itself. Um, well, I, you know, I feel like the last year or so has been kind of positive in a lot of ways. I think a lot of new people are coming to comics, um, for a couple of different reasons. I think because obviously Hollywood's taken such an interest in comics and, and so many adaptations of comic stuff hitting the big screen that more and more people are becoming aware of stuff. So there's that. And then 
things like Marvel Now and the New 52 are kind of reinvigorating a lot of fans and getting them excited again and, and bringing new fans in. And, and then also I think there's just uh, a much more diverse body of work out there now than maybe there was 20 years ago, you know, um, where there's, if you're, no matter what kind of stuff you like to read, there's, whether it be, you know, uh, Joe Sacco or Chris Ware or Jeff Johns or, you know, I mean, there's, there's just such a diverse range of work out there that, no matter what kind of stuff you're into reading, there's comics that, that fit that. So I think it is all kind of positive and, and then the digital stuff's growing too. So that, that makes comics more accessible to more people. And I just hope that keeps growing and we just keep getting new, new readers in rather than same old fanboys. No offense because I'm a fanboy too. And I'm not criticizing that, but if, if we're, if the industry and, and the medium is going to thrive and succeed, it's got to start to reach outside of that that core fan base and bring in new people. And I just hope that continues to happen. Definitely. Um, I've got a couple more here from people. So sure. um, Robert Gall, again, he wanted to know if you could write only one book for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? <laughs> I don't know. That's tough. I wouldn't want to write one book for the rest of my life. Uh, I don't care what it was, you know, I <clears throat> even something like sweet tooth, which is completely personal and, and from me and I, I i created the whole thing and everything i have you know i obviously don't want to write that forever because i'm ending it at 40 so i i think i my stories are always very finite and they they always have an ending in mind um even even the dc stuff like animal man and and uh whatever book i take on in the dc universe i always have an ending in mind for my 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 time with that character so i, I already know what the ending of animal man will be whenever it happens it could be 30 issues from now, or it could be, you know, 50 issues from now, but, um, I don't, I always need an ending to work towards, so I can't ever see writing anything for forever. I don't, I don't think there's any character I could, you know, live with that long. Yeah. I think it's a hard thing to kind of just focus on that one story for, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I changed, I, I changed so much as a person over the course of even, creating Sweet Tooth or, or the Underwater Welder. I started that four years ago and and the person I was when I started it was very different from the person who finished that book and I don't know if there, there's one character, unless you had the character continue to grow and change with you, um, which could be interesting, but to write something, write one story forever seems pretty boring to me because I have a lot of stories I want to tell, you know. Um, well, speaking on that note, James Fisher, he wanted to know, and I guess I should also mention that 90% of all of these questions were started with Jeff how are you so awesome? <laughs> so just putting that out there, but his actual question is, um, do you have any creator owned projects coming up and will you be penciling that project yourself? Uh, yes. And yes. I mean, um, I, I will always be drawing something because really that's my first love. So, um, sweet tooth is going to end at issue 40, which everyone knows. And, uh, I'm, I'm drawing issue 39 right now. Uh, so I have about another month of work left on sweet tooth. And then, um, I'm probably going to take about two or three months off from drawing anything just to recharge, you know, I'll be drawing stuff, but not in terms of drawing anything for print, you know? And, um, and then there's a new vertigo book next year. That's going to start that I can't see really anything else about other than it's a new vertigo book and it will be written and drawn by me. So, Very cool. <laughs> I, think, I think that's all you need to say. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. And then I'm not sure when they'll announce that, I guess, um, I mean, when they'll announce what it is and stuff like that. I think it might either be later this fall or early next year or something that they'll they'll make it a, a more of a 
an announcement with with the title and the, some stuff like that. But. Nice, very cool. Um, Seven, anything else you want to to ask? Um, Theodore Bond wanted to. I'll, I'll just ask this one. I think you kind of mentioned that you've been a longtime comics reader. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your very first comic book? Um, I you know I don't know exactly because I think I was probably four when I started <laughs> buying comics. You know, but the earliest things I remember are. Um, I don't know if you guys had these in the states. I presume you did. They had the, those Blue Ribbon Digests that were like. Um, did you have those? The DC Blue, Blue Ribbon Digest. They were yes, sort of like. Okay, I know the ones you mean. They're like reprints of old mm-hmm. silvery stuff and like a little digest form. You get them at a supermarket and stuff. Yeah, those were like what out. I first started getting, and I remember the ones. The first couple I remember clearly are. Um, uh, I think one was like a Justice Society of America thing. That was reprinting some of like the seventies Paul Evitz, Joe Staten stuff, which I loved, and and then I remember really getting into George Perez and Marvel Wolfman's Teen Titans stuff, and um, Paul Evitz and Keith Giffen's Legion, and then like I said, Who's Who came out, and uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, all that stuff kind of hit when I was about like between eight and ten, so that was really what made me fall in love with the DC universe, all those different books, because reading those, you just the DC universe just seems so huge and so full of characters. And there's just, there was hundreds and hundreds of different characters and, and you just wanted to know who they all were and stuff. So that really got me invested. Thanks. Very cool. Well, well, sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. I was just going to say, I have one last question and that's it. Um, okay. so what kind of, what comics are you reading now and what comics would you recommend to some of our listeners? Um, that's, that's always a good one. And whenever I get asked, I always forget, but stuff, but I'm, I'm there's, I feel like there's a lot of really good stuff coming out right now. Um, especially monthly stuff. Uh, let me think, uh, well, my, my good friend, Matt Kent, who's doing Frankenstein, he has a new book from, from, uh, dark horse called mind management. And I think the fourth issue is going to be out soon. And that is, I think it's like the best book of the year for sure. It's if you're not reading it, you got to check it out because it's, it's awesome. the most inventive and imaginative thing. It's, it's incredible. So there's that. Um, what else am I reading? I'm really liking Manhattan projects, the Jonathan Hickman image book. Um, God, see, I'm blanking now. I know there's, it's <laughs> there's, like, I said it earlier. I buy like, comics every week. And oh, I can't Scott think of Snyder. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like being it's in a music store. It's for me store. to read Scott stuff because <laughs> you know, like you're so the... close that I read yeah. the scripts like months ahead of time. And it's hard for me to enjoy them as a fan anymore. Right. <laughs> Even yeah, though yeah, he yeah. really is an incredible writer. But his bad, <laughs> his bad stuff's awesome. And, uh, God, I'm blanking. Yeah. I really like Glory and Profit from Image. Those are good books. Mm-hmm. And Fatal and, um, I'm not. I haven't been reading a lot of Marvel lately, but I, I'm looking forward to a couple of the new Marvel Now books, the Remender stuff and Jason Aaron stuff. I always read and Hickman stuff, so that's all pretty exciting. Um, and there's cool. some DC stuff coming next year that I know about that I'm pretty excited for too. So. All right. Well, <laughs> let's have it then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Um, so underwater welders on stands now, correct? Yep. Um, it's also on Comicsology. Get the, get it there. Um, you're at Jeff Lemire on Twitter. Yes, I am. And uh, your blog is yeah, I don't know. It's you just like your... Jeff Lemire at blogspot.com. Right, is there anything else you want to uh, pimp? No, I leave? mean that's about it. You know, right now I'm doing Animal Man and Justice League Dark and uh, winding up Sweet Tooth. So. There's going to be two new DC books next year 
that I can't wait to announce, but I think maybe at New York Comic Con they'll announce one of them. Um, right. That I'm, I've kind of fallen in love with the character that I'm writing that I never, this is one of those DC characters that I never gave a second thought to before I actually got the gig, and it, it's, it's kind of surprised myself on how much I got into it, so I'm really excited to talk about it more. Sorry to tease you, but... That's all right. No, it's a good <laughs> start. Good, a good way to end the show is to tease something you're very excited about, because then we are yeah. very excited about it. Um, but thank you, Jeff, so much for being here. Um, guys, if you're not reading Jeff Lemire's stuff, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, because every week we tell you to, to read Jeff Lemire's stuff. So, guys, go out, read The Underwater Welder. Uh, there's a review about on the site right now. Um, you just talked about Lost Dogs. Yes. Um, yeah, actually, that just got reprinted as well. So that's it. Yeah, I just yeah. I just picked that up and talked about it last week on the show. It was awesome. Absolutely love Thanks. all the all the quiet moments, the black, white, and red artwork. Uh, very moving. And Underwater Welder is one of the single best graphic novels I've ever read. So thank oh, you very well, much. Thank you very that. much. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. So thanks. All right, Jeff. So thank you so much for being here. Um, and guys, thank you for listening to the show at Talking Comics on Twitter. I mean, get in touch with us there. Info at TalkingComicBooks.com. And thank you guys so much uh, for your questions for Jeff. And thank you very much, Jeff. Yeah, my pleasure. Talk to you guys again, I hope. Bye. Bye.